Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. And um, yeah, y'all, I'm back. And we have a new episode with a new woman of color in STEM. And um, I am equally as excited as you all to learn more about today's guest. And um, I usually just like to say hi. So hi, Winnie. How are you? Hi, Dr. Anderson. I'm doing well. How are you? I am, man. I'm excited. Okay, so say your last name. So again, so I won't mess it up. And then um, and then we can get it started. Winnie Karanja. So it's Winnie Karanja. Um, and y'all, y'all heard it from me. I didn't mess up. I'm so proud of myself. Um, because you guys know I've been known to mess up plenty of names on the show. Um, and her story, so only the little pieces that I've read. So um, because we've never met. So this is um this is a, a wish um that was granted via LinkedIn, you know, hallelujah for LinkedIn. Um, and so and as as my viewers know and my listeners know, like I'm a I'm a LinkedIn stalker. <laughs> I like to just see other women um in STEM doing great things. And anytime I see somebody who I'm like, you know, I think she'd make a great guest on the show. And so then I will do an introduction. Um, here's who I am. Here are links to the past episodes. Here's how we can link up if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And I'm really grateful and glad that you said yes. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm really excited for the conversation. So thank you for reaching out. Anytime, any anytime, because I, I collect friends. I, <laughs> I, I collect friends. <laughs> so you just never know. Don't we all? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're in a, you know, we're in a space. Um as as women of color in STEM, where there's there's not so many of us that we can't all be familiar, right? Exactly. Um, and so, and because you never know, like when you'll need a speaker or you'll need someone to, you know, you know, uh, be your hype man. You know, it's like I I'm for it. I I can do it. Um, and I'm I I make myself available for those opportunities. And like I make no bones about it. Like this is my job. Right. I love um, I love promoting um, and sort of equalizing women of color in STEM, because for me, it's never been a uh, never been about whether we could do the jobs um, and have all of the skills. It's about opportunity. So. Exactly. And I think it's so important to just build a community like there's not that many of us in this space. <clears throat> and so just being able to connect with each other, serving as a support group, just being able to be in that community is critical. I mean, if it's just a virtual community, um, it's key for us to thrive, you know, celebrate one another um, as women of color in this space and then hold each other up as well. So, yeah, yeah I'm excited to be a part of this um, community here with you. So thank you. You are so welcome. So, Winnie, as as I do with all of my guests, please tell us your STEM story. Yeah. Well, so my STEM story. So I first was, you know, I would say that I was in STEM as a young child, but I never called it STEM. Mm. Um, I was great at math. I had my challenges of math, I'm going to be honest, but I loved it. And, you know, I was very interested in the sciences and did well there. Um, but I had a couple of roadblocks. So when I was in high school, I, you know, I took a it was my first ever programming course. And it was very interesting because I was in this class and I was one of two students of color and one of two female students in the course. And it was the environment of bro culture before I had the language of bro culture. 
So yes, yes. Like what I mean is that the blinds were almost always like pulled down, like to the bottom. There's very little bit of like natural light. The lights were like, there was only like one set of lights on and I'm Kenyan American. And so, um, you know, I just was always thinking like, why do, do you all like not like natural light? Like, I don't, I don't understand this, you know? Um, but I was in this course and, you know, it was my first exposure to programming. And so I was there, I was building my website, um, around one of my top tennis players, obviously like Serena is the goat. Um, but I was a, you know, high school, um, you know, I was a teenager. So I built my website about Roger Federer and, um, in this process of building this website, was when I realized that I was in a context where the white male students, they knew what they were doing and I didn't, right? They right. had the language and the terminology and I didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was just interesting because for me, like I found building a website, a very creative process. And again, at that time, I never really thought about it as STEM. I just was like, this is a cool creative outlet for me. And so I built this website. And honestly, because I was dedicated to seeing my website come to life, like I kept talking to teacher asking him, like, you know, how do I, you know, create this function? How do I make sure that my picture is aligned where I want it to be, etc.? And so that was really that exposure into the sort of into the tech space. And so I built this website at a great experience. And then when I went off to college, I was really blessed to go to school in the UK. So I did my undergrad um, in Wales. And when I was there, I was studying like education and um, international politics. And so through that work, I was able to work with some organizations, really um, marrying my passion around Um, international development work and humanitarian crisis work with data. And so I was working with them to help them understand their data, make data informed decision making. That's when I started looking at like data structures. And so it really opened me up into this world. But again, I never thought about it through this lens of STEM. I just was like, this is something where we can use this to make better decisions, to make faster responses, to think about what's happening, what, what are the outcomes, you know? And so that was really my um, my journey. So I continued to be in this space. I was, you know, I wrote grants to work on various opportunities, research projects um, in the Philippines and in, you know, back in Kenya. And then I ended up um, moving back to uh, Madison, deferred my graduate school. Again, continued to just marry my passions for me in international development and humanitarian crisis work with data. And then um, went to graduate school, went to London School of Economics, and then returned back to Madison after that, Madison, Wisconsin. And that's where I was having a conversation with an educator, a former elementary school principal. And she was telling me how she reached out to a national nonprofit and to teach her students how to code, and she had never heard back. Mm-hmm. And I was very perplexed by that because I was like, I don't, I don't understand what you mean because like ensuring that students had the STEM skills, like I saw what being able to marry my STEM and tech skills, the doors that opened up for me, the rooms that I was in. And I'm going to be honest, the rooms that I was in, you know, I was in the UK, but like, and so I had a little bit more diversity and like I created these projects that I wanted to work on. And so, and those were all in, in Philippines, um, you know, Kenya. So, you know, being around people of color, but it was one of those things where I was like, students need to have access to these skills. And I don't understand why they never wrote back to you. And so I immediately told her, you know, I will, um, you know, teach your students how to code. And then I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) let me, there's a, like, wait a minute, let me just take a step back. Let me see. Cause I was so just like passionate. I was like, I don't understand. Like this, the math is not mathing. Right. Right. And so um, I I said, let me look at an organization that is doing this. And so when I looked at that, I couldn't find one in the area that would actually be serving, um, you know, students beyond technical skills, right? Because it wasn't just technical skills, it was a mentorship and it was exposure. And so that started my path of founding um, a nonprofit based in Madison called MADEM. And MADEM stands for a play on words around made by them, the phrase made them, made by them. And so we taught um, girls and students of color in rising sixth to 12th grade computer programming and getting them into um, tech-based internships. So I built that program, um, did that for seven years, worked with over 2,000 students. Um, We have students who learned how to code for their first time um, with me. Wow. 
are at Stanford, um, clients at MIT, Columbia, all of these places um, studying computer science. And then um, right before I left, I actually started a very unique, um, one-of-a-kind internship program, placing students in um, tech-based mm-hmm. and engineering-based um, internships, getting paid $15 an hour. And these are high school students, you know, getting paid $15 an hour. And Man, let me tell managers, you. Managers, right? So this life-changing sort of um, experience, because for me, it was all about the fact that like students have the skill sets, right? We're just adding tools to their tool belt. Right. And so part of what I've, you know, what I built um, in Madison. And it was really from these experiences, it was really from like the feedback from our corporations, our students, um, our parents, right? Um, because when I built the program, it was one of the, um, it was the only program in Dane County that actually had more um, women and more than 50% like girls and students of color who are participating in STEM programming, right? Very, very The unique. only one? When was this? Let me tell you, I started this uh, 20, I launched it in 2015 and still when I left last year. Yeah. And like, that's what I'm saying. And so it was, and I started, so even from my founder story, like when I started, um, you know, made them, I was maybe like, I was, I was like the youngest black woman in Dane County, like starting an organization, right? So the whole fundraising, there's so many things around, you know, that part of the story, like being a young founder, being a black founder, my intersectionality, um, being also Kenyan, all of these different things. But it's been amazing because a number of the students that we work with were you know, first generation. And, our, you know, I really designed this program. Part of its success was the way in which I designed it from my experience, both as an immigrant, from my experience with, um, you know, background in education mm-hmm. and how we brought parents into the mix. Right. And one thing that, like I said, because the students were working with, because of the way that I architect and created this model, um, we worked with a lot of corporations. And it was through that space where our outright program was really, you know, teaching students these skill sets. But there was this other aspect of reframing for corporations where they believe that brilliance and talent lies. Ooh, and so- now that's good. You got to say that again. <laughs> You, no, I mean, because I think that that is actually really powerful and it's actually part of the work that I really like to do is just, you know, it, it goes back to, oh God, what was the Wells Fargo a couple years ago when they made yeah. a grand statement about how they couldn't find any diverse talent and then people just started sending them resumes like, bam, here's, here's mm-hmm. you know, here's a guy, here's a guy, here's a guy, right? Or here's a person, right? All this, and it's like, okay, so are you really looking? And it's, and it, you know, really at the heart of it, it was like you were only looking in certain places because that's where you thought the talent and the gifting lied. And mm-hmm. so having them rethink that, shift, you know, shake even that perspective that only there's only certain people who have these gifts and talents that can do this job is vitally key. And I don't even know if they are, I don't even think it's on purpose. It's kind of sort of, conditioned to be this way oh yeah yeah I think there's so many levels you know within that I think it's you know I think there's some things that are you know within the conditioning there's unconscious but there's also conscious biases of course And, um, and it was those moments where, you know, cause that part of the program, even when I started the organization back in 2015, like it was, we would go into the corporations, we would create a meaningful experience there. And you'd see time after time, like folks be like, huh, we don't, we just, we don't have women in our department. We have very few people. We don't have any people of color, you know, looking looking around. And it did, it was that reframing because now it's the reorientation around like, wait a minute, we're having and we're engaging with these brilliant students of color um, who are here, who are excited about STEM. And our the folks who we have in our department don't reflect the students that we're working with as we're thinking about who we're recruiting, wait a minute, how come they, they're not looking like, you know, right. They don't match. There's a, there's a, yeah. Yeah. That disconnect. And so it was through just that work. And again, a lot of the work that we did with parents and where I saw there's such a need to take what I did and to scale it in different ways. Um, But also to work at these various activation points, right? Because you know, there's there's a lot of push to getting more people of color in the STEM field. But I remember something 
I was talking with um I would say she's a DNI practitioner, but we were talking about the and about the space and she said something to me about like how do you ensure that these corporations are ready to receive the brilliant talent? Mm, because we can be, you know, exactly, because we can be talking about getting more women and people of color into that space, but we don't want to create a space where they're going to go and get harmed, right? Right. Um, and so that's where there was this area of activation point, right, for me with corporations. There is this area of making sure that students at a very young age know that they belong in STEM and are engaging with tools and educational resources that reflect and look like them and talk about STEM in their own spaces. Yeah. Um, and then as well, educating the broader community about the fact that women and people of color and that we have been and we are at the pivotal points of like technology, innovation and creation. Right. From the and very, very beginning. Exactly. Exactly. And so for me, that those were the things I thought about that alongside a few other things when I when I made my transition to leave Maidam um, to start my new company, represent a collective that works in these various activation points, because it's not just one that's needed. It's all of them. Right. And so to be able to create um, a company that works in these various spaces for me is um, is critical. And so that's been my that's been my STEM journey. So I started represent a collective um, a year ago. And um, yeah, we create products and curate experiences focused on advancing gender and racial equity. So we have our legendary card collection that talks about women, um, specifically women of color Mm -hmm. legends um, in the STEM fields. We curate experiences where we have these dialogues um, with women of color in the tech field about how do you create transformative spaces um, for women of color. We have um, a few other things that are coming out. And then we have our kids line called Nakira's World, which is um, the adventures of an eight-year-old Black girl um, and her friends in STEM. And so it's just these, like I say, these activation points that are so critical and what I learned from what I, you know, was created, what I created and cultivated um, at Madeum and the impact that it had. Um, I wanted to really take that and say, let's move this into large scale because I think there's such an importance of direct um, service programs. But how do you go from working with 300 students um, one year to being able to have content that reaches, you know, thousands of students, right? And works with uh, the adults in their lives. So, yeah. It's, it's and now uh, that is, that is, uh, that is the challenge. Yeah. Um, I feel like our, um, our stories kind of criss- crisscrossed and they're very similar in ways. Um, so I got, I have questions. Yeah. One, um, I guess one is, I think is really important for, for other um, young um, women of color, but but men and men also is um, since you are a founder, um, how did you go about getting funding or sponsors for you know for your programming? I mean, I, I mean, we got to talk about it because I'm sure that you have stories there too. Yes, let me tell you, um, it, it it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge. Um, so with all my intersectionality, um, it was something where when I brought this, like, like I said, so when I started made, so there's been two rounds when I've started made them in Madison, part of it was the fact that like, I was bringing something, I didn't look like your typical founder. Correct. Case, right. And I was also communicating a message that people hadn't been hearing or thinking about, right? right? Like how do you get more girls and students of color in STEM? And so a lot of it had to do with, in terms of like getting funding was, you know, you kind of have the chicken and the egg situation, right? Like, yeah, which you know, one first, right? which one goes first. And so I had to essentially like in the beginning, what I did is I worked, I did consulting and then sort of started the organization um, on the side. Mm-hmm. And then um, did like, you know, was able to connect a little bit within the like in founder space, entrepreneur space and got, you know, a little bit of funding and then did an event. Mm -hmm. And so I did this coding event in order to just like amplify the work, showcase it, get some press around it. And then from there, you know, have conversations with folks like find my sponsors and those who are going to like support my work and then be able to ask them to introduce me to other folks. Right. And so like the journey of raising money was, you know, 
it was challenging because you're raising money. It's, you know, it's nonprofit, but also it's like, you know, we've only worked with 50 kids, right? Well, you have other organizations have been there, have such a long history. And so they have those numbers. But what I'll say was really important for me was always collecting data from the beginning, was always doing those pre and post, um, pre and post surveys. Like we wrote grants, um, but I'll tell you, young founder, I worked with the university, got some interns, right? I didn't have dollars to be paying people. So like, right. You know, <laughs> being able to work with um, some college interns. And I'll say like one of my first intern, Valeria Martinez, like she was such a rock star, um, ended up working with her through this program um, through UW-Madison. And then she was my first, um, one of my, my first full-time employee. And she worked with me for about two years. And so just being able to really... Um, I think for me on that side was like build my team, but um, just go out, have conversations. It was a lot of, you know, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's so nice. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, and I'm like. But it's, you know, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I I felt that in such a way. It's it's so tricky. I don't even know if that's the word. It's, It's just. It's hard. It's, it's really hard. hard. Um, you know, having having done it for a little bit of time for further, you know, quite similar, the same types of um same types of events um way back in, in the day. So I I understand that it is um it's quite challenging in the yeah. sense I I think the ground is much more fertile now, but it doesn't mean that it's any easier. What I find frustrating, and you can tell me if you've had this experience, is that I I get frustrated with the I with when I see, you know, events or I see people who've gotten a lot of fundings, right? And they they don't look like us. My friend friend calls them the translucents. And I'm right. I'm like, okay. Um, and I know that they don't, you know, it's like they have the, they're, they're trying to capture the same audience, but it's like, what's the motive, you know, like the motivation isn't there. Right. I find that to be frustrating or, or if I, you know, have been able to sort of check out or know their work, you know, and know the quality of their work. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't what we need, right? Our community, we need quality programming mm-hmm. that is sustainable over time. Because it's mm-hmm. not, for me anyway, this is the way I'm thinking about it. Because it's not a a hit it and quit it event, right? If yeah. we're going to make the investment, and we have to, we have to be all in. To me, in the investment of STEM technology in our company, I mean, in our uh, country, in our community, because. Um, our kids don't, sometimes they don't have the same resources. I can't say all of us don't have the same resources, but it can't be a hit it and quit it event here. And mm-hmm. then three months later, another hit it and quit it event. We have to have these sustainable efforts over time, especially if we're going to be the stoker of interest and creativity and innovation. It's a, yeah. it's a, you know, it's an everyday, every week kind of thing. You can't just come in here and be like, oh, we're going to get five people who are, you know, Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> I, it, well, and that's the thing. And it's all about like impact. Right. And so for me, I'll say that's something that, you know, when I started, I realized like I had to do the small, you know, like the short mm-hmm. workshops. I knew is that sure. going to, is that what's going to make the long-term impact? Not necessarily. Um, and what I was looking at because it needed that continual engagement because with STEM and with programming, like it's, you know, when you do something and it's, you write code and it works, you're like, great. But that moment where you get stuck and you get frustrated, you need to work through it. Through right? it. Yes. And if you don't work through it, then you're like, okay, this isn't for like this hard, this is for me. Like, right. it isn't, I, I can't do this. This is not my thing. Right? right. And so that's what I wanted to avoid for. And so, beginning for me, I think, you know, it was doing some of that and then making the decision to say, like, we're going to do, um, like I'm going to do less and do quality over quantity because especially I, so I'll speak to this in a nonprofit space and then I'll step outside of talking about it from a nonprofit space. But I think part of it is always the, like when you're looking to um, and you're working with funders or trying to figure out like, how do you really, you know, show the impact of your work? 
as a culture that's been grounded, you know, within America and whiteness and whatnot, there's a lot of like, it's the numbers, right? It's the quantity, like how many, what are you producing, right? It's mm-hmm. continuously like that. But like quality is what's, what, when we were working with students, it was that engagement. It was a working through it. It was that those smaller groups right. that then, you know, allowed you to build the relationship, allowed students to work through things to figure out what, what about this excites them, right? Or where, where in STEM do they think that they would thrive even more, right? And so I'd say like that was a thing that I had to, um, you know, I, I figured out and I, I worked through and you know, even through that journey, like I've worked with some amazing, amazing funders, folks who are, you know, supporters and sponsors of Represented Collective um, with my transition, who are just amazing. And I think people who realize that, especially when you're that, you know, when you're working with founders, when you're working um, within that space, like to trust, to trust the founder, to trust the leader. And like I said, I'm so thankful to be working with sponsors and corporations like that. And because of my work at Maidam, because of, you know, who I am, like I have receipts, you know, um, to show that. But the journey of fundraising, like it is just it's challenging because I think there's also the broader narrative of like you should do the most with this little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we're so used to having to do that. And at some point I was like, no, <laughs> Yes, I just know. This little bit will get this. And so that's what's going to happen, right? And I had to <laughs> in my mind out of like, yes, I know I want to work with all of these students. So I want to do all of this. But I'm like, right. when I look at the numbers, it's like, this is all we can do with this. Yeah. And we want something that's quality and, you know, that reaches how many ever people, then this is the dollars. And so now I'm in a place where I think being confident in who I am, being confident in my work, and the outcome of my work, it's like, I can have, I have those conversations. And like I said, I, you know, I'm working within a community of funders who, you know, trust me, um, where I can show up in that way. And I think when you get there as a founder, it's really important. And I always encourage more, you know, funders or sponsors um, to really trust the to trust the leaders that they're giving their dollars to and to, you know, to ask about impact, but to, you know, to trust, not to ask for so many reports or all of those different things. And to right. know, like, okay, if somebody, is this is what they need. This is. Well, I mean, it, of course the numbers matter. I mean, you know, and I, and I, but I would defer to, is that the word defer? Mm. Maybe not. <laughs> um, I think I wanted to say, that you need both. Like you need those high, you know, volume numbers where maybe you you did impact or um, expose STEM to mm-hmm. fifteen hundred students, right? Because mm-hmm. okay. you know it's it, but you also need, you know, I can see where you're taking those same 20, 30 students that you've been working with throughout the year, every week, you know, and using them. In that same event where you impacted fifteen hundred students, right? Because to me, it's a it's it's a both and it's not an either or. So you use those students, or you you know you take the things that they've learned, they showcase at the event. Students can see themselves because we know that that's important, right? So they can see themselves. Here's this young young guy or this young girl who's learned how to code, who knows how to you know whatever it is they're you know they they've learned to do, and. If it's, you know, if I'm seven, I'm like, oh, if she can do it, I I think I can too. Say, you know, it's like, so you can, there's ways in which you can do it where both sets of numbers matter. Like you have an impact, the impact you make over, you know, if you've had a a four week program or six week program where you worked, you work with these 20, 30 students that's going to stick longer than that. Maybe that one event where you had big numbers to me anyway. Um, so you can have them both. And it's just a matter of how you do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's sort of where I've, I've aired. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those things where um, we, I had a, um, I went to a STEM event a couple of weeks ago Um and it had, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, actually it was a pretty decent, it's turned out pretty decent. Um, and I thought to myself, okay, well now where's the follow-up, right? 
because I mean, that's exactly where my mind went. I was there to do a parent session Mm -hmm. um, where we were talking. I was talking to the parents about their role in STEM because a lot of parents are like, well, no, they're getting that at school or is that's the after school program. And it's like, well, you know, as as their parent, you, I'm not asking you to be great in math because that's the thing that's like, oh, math terrifies me. I, you know, I'm like, yeah. you know, there's all of that. I'm, I'm not even asking you to get over your math fear. I'm not trying to tell you to do any of that stuff. But your role as a parent is, you know, to support, you know, yeah. is to assist, is to become the helper, is to the become the encourager to, you know, maybe find those free opportunities to sort of put yourself um, out there as the encourager of dreams and, you know, the defender of, of your, of your kid in that space, because you and I both know that being young, gifted black um, in any space at, you know, as we currently stand is difficult. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, like it was in seeing that where and what I love about like our Nakira's world puzzles is that it has a role for parents, right? Mm-hmm. And the projects that we're working on with possibilities boxes um, that are in right now, they're in two schools in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They have this role for adults and in a way that it's not intimidating. It's not right. an intimidating entry point. Like when parents are doing these puzzles with their kids and cause it's a decoder puzzle. So you put it together, you put on your decoder glasses, you look for the hidden items. There's a booklet that tells you um, about the items that you're finding. And so it's introducing you to STEM. It's introducing you to, you know, the sciences in a way that doesn't feel intimidating. And you don't actually realize that you're engaging in like STEM learning right. and that, that intentionality um, in making that entry point, like effortless um, for our customers, or our consumers is something that I think is so important because then you create that place where parents aren't feeling intimidated. Like our, our um, possibilities boxes, we have a, so districts can buy it um, or schools can buy it, but there's, so it's a box. And then, you know, there's a booklet, there's the game, it's a game. And there's the lesson plans aligned to common core standards. And so for teachers, like it literally has the hand, you know, the handouts for you in there. It tells you, you know, when to introduce what point, which pages you have your kids read through, how much time you allocate for things. It's plug and play. And what we've heard from um, teachers is that they love it. What we heard from, you know, some of our students as we did like pilots with them um, in Madison was like, every classroom needs this, you know, and this looks like me. And so to be able to create that within STEM education is so critical for me. And that's what I love about this path with Nakira's world is, you know, our products go from um, four years all the way through content that we have in elementary schools. Um, So it's going to fifth grade. So it's like kids can grow with that and you can continue to see people who look like you engaging with STEM in your everyday setting. Yeah. Love. Love. Yeah. So that's because I'm like, you, you, you do need that. You need parents to be able to support kids. You need to make it, you know, easy entry where you're like, oh, in the end, like, you know, students are like, oh, this is the kind of, um, you know, butterfly or leaf that like is in this book. And I just learned about, and they don't realize that like they're learning. They're like, yeah. Isn't that the best though? Like, even as an adult, you're like, oh, wait, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's like there's there's there. I mean, if you're like me, I always um, I'm sort of recently coming back around to the idea that I am always a student. Right. I'm always a student. And um, so it's I mean, it's when I have those moments where it's just like, okay, I can you know, you can sit with the new knowledge and just and for me, I just I get a little happy. Yeah. And let me tell you, as an entrepreneur, it's like, you're going to be a student until you, (laughs) like, you can't, you can't, you can't fight it. You know, you can only fight it if you stop being an entrepreneur, but like entrepreneurship makes it that you will be a student. (laughs) You are not lying for sure. Um, If I have learned nothing um, over the past, I've been in business for myself for four years now. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's been, it's been quite the endeavor and, um, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes, right? Um, I've learned a whole lot. Um, I've learned, you know, of course, what's, what works for me, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sort of putting in some back end processes has been, um, 
probably the major work um, most of the time. And then focusing on what the front side looks like and then making sure that my stuff is quality, right? That's that's been the that's been the work. Yeah. It's just, oh, I yeah. can't, you know, because it'll show up later. I mean, honestly, it will show up later. People will be, you know, will be like, oh, I, I engaged with her and it wasn't, mm-mm. I don't want that to be my story. So yeah. um and so I've done I've done that work. So yes, and I'm always a learner. And um I think that that posture that mindset has uh served me well um as a black woman in STEM for sure but definitely as an entrepreneur yeah and I think that's where for me like I'm a big big advocate for um pay equity for um ensuring that there's capital for you know black owned businesses and um and so because it's really important that we resource black founders or founders of color with the capital that they need in order to create the product that they want to produce, mm. right? So you're not having to make small cuts here and there because you don't have, you know, the financing to be able to make it happen or the capital to be able to hire staff in order to do certain things, right? And I think that's that's what happens when we don't resource um, businesses. Mm. And that to me is a problem. I think it's it's a big, big problem because then when it comes back, you know, and there's so many conversations around this, when it comes back, people are like, oh, well, you know, that business didn't do it like this or whatever, um, or it wasn't that quality. And we have to think about that as Black women who are in business, ensuring that our products, you know, are really, um, that they bring that quality. But I think some of that comes from the fact that like, when you run into those decision points, when you only have so many dollars, it's like, how are you going to allocate that? And does that mean that you have to wait to release your product? Does that mean you remove two or three pieces from it? And then what does that mean for the customer engagement, right? right? Customer experience. And so that's where, you know, for me, I'm just like, at this point, I very, very much say like, this is what we need to make this happen until we're there. We just, we can't, we can't put it out. Cause I'm like, I can't have my name behind something that's like not together. Not together. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, yes, yes to that, that I, I felt that in a whole place, um, especially being a person who, um, who develops STEM curriculum for, um, you know, for, for kids, it's just like, yeah. I don't want to put my, mainly girls, but, but I don't want to put my name on something that I already know is not going to, you know, stand up. Right. Yeah. Um, and even if I, you know, if I've gotten funding, it's like, well, what is this amount of funding going to get you, right? And so, um, having to make those hard decisions, uh, yeah. it's is um is key. And I, I really want, you know, any funders who are listening to this episode to really know that, you know, when we came to you and we said, hey, this is a, you know, we think this is a great proposal. Here's what we, you know, here's what we think it has the potential to do. Here's, here's our reach and so on and so forth. And you, and we're asking for X dollars and you said, okay, that's nice, but we'll give you this. Here's what it means. You know, you know, what it means is, is that the quality of the, of the curriculum that we said we were, we were thinking about trying to do or developing we're not going to be able to do. It takes time, effort, energy, sourcing of things to be able to put together a really good curriculum. It's not a, um, I think people think that you like, okay, well, you know, you put together some, some, um, some Legos and you, you know, you just build yeah. something around and it's like, that's not quite a, how it, <laughs> that's not quite how it works. Well, and that's the thing, like, this is reminding me, um, I hosted this event at, um, a couple years ago. So we, it, we, I host something for our code and I hosted this event at Epic, um, which is the electronic healthcare records system, the, mm-hmm. um, the EHR and we hosted it there and, you know, we bus students like, and we had different bus pickup points because it's a little challenging to get to that spot. But I remember when I was doing like the introduction for the event, like the Epic campus is in like the top, I think 15 campuses, like it's kind of Google, like they're all of these cool rooms and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we were in their like cave and like icicle space. And I just remember one of the, um, one of the students, several students coming up to me and being like, is this this is your building. This is amazing. You own this. Cause they know that like I was the founder who had put it on this. 
content, right? And that showed me, like, I, you know, I didn't clarify for them, like, we're in the space, like, and I told them, you know, like, Judy is the one who started this, you know, epic and everything. And that just as they're seeing me in this space, like, I'm going to have an amazing space like this. And so can they, right? right? And I think it was a powerful thing about, like, going back to what you're saying and, like, funding, being able to have the funding to do what you need to do because you know the impact, right? Yes. Because I, I wanted to bring them to that space for them to know about, you know, that location as a potential employer in their future. But there was something really powerful that happened for them to be like, for them to have no question that like Winnie Karanja is the one who owns this massive building, right? And she works here. <laughs> right. So they're like, wait, Winnie Karanja, who looks like me, like black woman, mm-hmm. Like, so I can do that too. So I can do that too. And and that's what those dollars, that's what the, hey, we're doing this in this spot that matters. Like everything I do has so many layers of intentionality because I'm thinking about the impact, the impact of what students are seeing, the impact of what, um, you know, what what we're doing for our educators. It's all about so many layers of intentionality. Yes. That's what makes the experience for, for, you know, our students that we're serving with our boxes, um, for our educators, for the events that we're putting on, um, you know, with our curated experiences is those levels of intentionality. Like I hosted um, like this uh, legendary celebration in Madison in July. And again, that whole panel talking about how do you create transformative spaces for women of color? It was curated the entire on that stage, the entirety of the stage for the evening. It always had those only women of color on that stage. Only. And it was, there was intentionality behind all of it. And to take a step back and to think how many times that you had an event where the stage and the people who are speaking are people of color. Right. Right. Th- those, those are my levels of intentionality because it speaks something. Right. And whether people realize that, you know, what I'm putting together, the way that I'm wanting them to reframe their mind, their thinking, whether it becomes conscious or unconscious at point, it's doing the work. And so I think that's that's where I, you know, for me, it goes back to like, you know, believing the founders, you know, the people who, um, you know, donors are supporting, et cetera, yeah. that intentionality and the resources needed to make that intentionality a reality. I love that. I I the that phrasing um and the work behind it like layers of intentionality. I felt that in a in a place. And I know that there are I know that there are other um there are other women of color doing the same thing. Like when they are putting together panels or they're, you know, um you know, they're getting invitations to um, be a part of a panel or they're walking on stages and, and giving um, keynotes and, and and other things. They're asking those behind the scenes questions like, well, how many other women of color are on, you know, is on the panel or is a part of the conference? Because it matters. Um, it matters for us to be seen. It matters for us to be a part of these panels. It matters what, you know, what, the, what topic we're discussing. It, it all matters because Again, there there's a lot of us out here. Um, is that true? Um, there there are many of us out here. <laughs> Let me phrase that. Um, there are many of us out here. Um, and what I feel like we are, we're doing a much better job than we have in the past. We're out here. We're telling our stories. We are being intentional about the the stages we step on um, and, and the words that we speak. There's still more work to be done. Um, we, you know, those rooms that you, um, you're in, we need, we need more, we need more. Um, and, and so I will say that I do though, appreciate you, um, cause I feel like your work and the impact of it is going to, it's impactful now, but, but there's, there's the, 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 what is the, I want to say the trickle down effect, but not quite, right? Because I feel like those students that you've impacted, you know, that were 10, 12, um, you're going to see the impact of your work when they're 18 and they're 21 and they're, you know, so that's the part where it's just, that's the impact we want to make, right? We want to make a dent in that single digit number for, for Black women in STEM and, and, 
you know, we want to raise the number for women in STEM. We want to make sure that everybody's not going into life sciences, that <laughs> there's some people going into technology. There's some people yeah. going into mathematics and, and engineering and yeah. engineering. So, you know, we want to make sure that we have spread the the wealth as we as we go along the, the STEM spectrum. And so that's the work. That's the, the, the even, you know, the little when you're talking about children's development and curriculum, um, all of the things, it's all it all has this effect to where, you know, are we leading women, more women, more women of color into a STEM field and making sure that they are also supported when they get there? So that's a it's good. We have to be intentional all the way along the along the line. It's not a okay. well, I've done my part and I'm done. It's like, no, we have to make sure that we have them covered all the way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, I have a couple questions. So what's coming up next for you? What what's what's happening in in Winnie's world? (laughs) Yes, um, I would say there's a lot of different things that's happening. Um, we're rolling out a couple new products in our Nikira's world line. So, um, you know, keep a watch there. And then um, with our legendary card collection, we are actually doing, we're um, going to be releasing a curriculum. So that'll be available on our Represented Collective uh, website. So those are the two things that we have going on. So really working and serving um, and creating products for our young our young kids and our educators, and then also um, creating content for people leaders to really build um, healthy and equitable teams and to really think about what practically mm-hmm. that looks like within their department. So those are the things that we have coming up, which I'm very excited about. Wow. I need to check that out. Um, we can talk about that offline now. <laughs> I've, I got a couple opportunities. Okay. Um, okay. And so I'm, I'm really excited for you. And I'm so, so anytime I see um, another woman, and especially a woman of color, I'm unapologetic about it, doing great things. I, I just get really excited. Um, I've been known to do a little happy dance around this here office. Um, no, I'm serious. Like I see, you know, I see when I see women, women uh, winning awards or, or getting accolades and their, you know, new product launches, all the things. I'm sincerely and genuinely happy for them because I just, I already know without really knowing the work you put in. So I'm stoked for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate support. You are so welcome. Okay. So we have one last question and it is the question that we ask everyone um, on the show. And it is, if you could travel back through time and talk to your younger self, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give her and why? So if I could travel back in time, it depends on what age I'm traveling back to my younger Mm -hmm. self. But what I would tell my younger self is you've got this and remember to come home to yourself as in just coming back to who you are. Um, because I'm, I grew up a third culture kid, right? Kenya, America, um, spent some time in the UK. So just that. And I think those two things would be the things that I would tell my younger self is you are amazing and don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Don't let people sow seeds of doubt in the ideas and, um, in how you show up. Don't let any, don't let people sow seeds of doubt um, for who you are because you are brilliant and amazing and your ideas are going to change the world. So. I got chills. I got chills. I yeah. love that. Um, I love the phrasing of um, come home to yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. Please. I'm telling you to your face. <laughs> <laughs> You will be hearing that again. <laughs> yes, I am here for it. Just tag me, Dr. Anderson. We all about sharing. Definitely, that. I have it written down, <laughs> and I'm just going to put your name right next to it. <laughs> but yes. I'm telling you now. 
is going to be used. <laughs> yes. No, I'm just, I think that's something for me the past like year or two, I've really just been sitting into that, right? And how do you ensure that you're creating um, a safe place and how are you a safe place for yourself, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I love I love that on just so many fronts. And it actually really spoke to me and some of the things that I'm coming to the realization of. Um, my most recent podcast at the time of this recording, um, I think I, it's entitled You Can't Run From Yourself. Oh, right. You know, because you'll always meet you <laughs> when you when you stop running, you're always going to meet you. Yeah. And so I talked about what that meant for me. Um, in this moment in time. And so, um, which is coincides with coming home to yourself. It's just like, right. Because yeah. who else is there, right? Exactly. <laughs> At the end of the day, you have to be true to yourself. And one of the, one of the life lessons that I've always known and have, um, have kept with me is that, is that you never lie to yourself. Like you always know, you know, the right, the wrong, the thing, you know, if you are in tune with your intuition and your gut and the whatever else you're going to call it, you always know. Yeah, you do. Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. I hope that it was an enjoyable experience for you. I had such a wonderful conversation. I feel like I could keep talking to you for, you know, the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, podcasts don't last that long. So. <laughs> I think they would get bored of us. They'd be like, they're still talking. (laughs) But yeah, no, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for having me on. Um, Yeah, this has just been wonderful. So thank you for um, creating space and opening um, your community for me to just be a part and to um, share and dialogue with you. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. And I do mean that anytime. Um, hit me up and let me know you want to come back on. You got something else you want to talk about? I'm here for it. I'm I surely will. Okay. I'm I promise you I'm here for it. Um, all right, you guys. So that concludes um today's episode of Stimming and Stilettos. And um, I know you're gonna walk away with plenty of nuggets and things that um that you can put in your pocket and use for later. Um, use this podcast as a resource. Um, hit up. Winnie, um, if you have ideas, um, if you want to join her team or partner with her in some way, or you know somebody who she should know, um, make sure that you are um, reading the show notes, um, not just for the summary of the episode, but that's where her bio and all of her um, connects uh, or contact information will be. Um, So um, I'm hoping that this leads to many, 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 many good good things and resources for you, Winnie. I really, really, really am. And so um, I will sign off by saying, you guys, I hope you're out there keeping yourselves safe until we meet again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stimming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stimming in Stilettos.